Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. Happy Valentine's Day! As I sit here with Miss Kitty Fantastico curled on my lap, I hope that everyone's had a wonderful holiday season and that we're all facing 2013 with renewed vigor. I know I am, and now that I'm all moved into my new apartment and Miss Kitty's all settled too, my next resolution to keep is, of course, getting back on track with all new episodes. For the next two weeks, our episodes focus on arias from Handel's Messiah. This week, Comfort Ye and Every Valley for tenor with Charles Reed. After that, we discuss some of the common mistakes and problems that we create for ourselves in the Messiah with Jan and Catherine McDaniel from the faculty of the Bass School of Music at Oklahoma City University. Charles Reed is a tenor that I've worked with on a few occasions and a podcaster in his own right. If you haven't already heard his podcast, This Opera Life, check it out. There's even an episode of This Opera Life with me on it. The Messiah is near and dear to my heart. I've talked about my mom before on the podcast. She was also a pianist and a church organist, as well as a high school music teacher. And one of the traditions that she started at her high school was that at the yearly Christmas concert, the last piece was always the Hallelujah Chorus. Every year, she'd explain the story of how King George II had stood at the London premiere, and therefore the entire audience stood, a fact that according to Wikipedia is actually false. <laughs> and as they rose in preparation, my mom would invite the entire audience to sing along. You'd see groups of people leave the audience and walk up onto the stage, grabbing a score of music from a stack that was prepared before the concert. And she'd sometimes have up to a hundred people singing the Hallelujah Chorus, including me, my dad, and my brother every year. After I left for college, I didn't get home very often, but every time I was home, at Sunday church services, mom and I would play the hymns together, she on organ while I made up fun things on the piano. And we were always looking for organ and piano duets to play as a postlude. One time when I was about 25, we just decided to grab the Hallelujah Chorus and play it together. And wouldn't you know, half of the congregation not only remained through the entire piece, most of them even sang along. Thereafter, every time I was home, Mom and I played the Hallelujah Chorus as a postlude. When my mom passed away, my family let me decide how to plan the funeral. And my answer was... Any person at all who wants to make music, be they amateur, professional, or a complete novice, will be allowed to make music. And no matter what, I want the Hallelujah Chorus at the end. So at the end of almost two hours of stories and singing, for the first time ever, I sat at the organ and played the Hallelujah Chorus in my mother's stead while everyone in attendance sang along. It was probably the most powerful moment of my life, and I'll always be thankful that my mom and I had that one piece that connected us throughout our lives and beyond, and that through it, she taught me and literally thousands of people to sing just for the sheer joy of making music. All of that being said, The Messiah is also a piece that I've had to rethink several times over the years. Having heard it my whole life long sung by non-professionals and professionals, I have a lot of diction sounds in my ears that are not necessarily correct, and it's made these episodes extremely difficult and worrisome for me to put together. Let's face it, it's the one piece of music that most singers trust the traditions of diction rather than actually pronouncing them the way we speak, as you'll hear throughout this episode and through the links of the YouTubes at the blog. 
We jump around a little bit between different texts from the Messiah in the interview, but I'm hoping it won't be too confusing and that you'll be able to recognize the selections that we're talking about. Hopefully this episode will give you some food for thought for next season's performances, and together we can start to change the world. You can find links to the text and even the score for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. You can also follow the Diction Police on Facebook and on Twitter at Diction Police. Our text for today is the opening tenor recitative and aria, Comfort Ye My People and Every Valley. The libretto of the Messiah, yes, there actually was a librettist, it seems funny to think that about the Messiah, doesn't it? <laughs> was written by Charles Jennings, a wealthy British gentleman whose family fortune allowed him to pursue his interest in literature and music. In fact, he subsidized the publication of every Handel score since Rodelinda in 1725. Handel himself took only 24 days to write the oratorio, which seems incredible, but apparently most of his scores were written in that same time frame. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill made low, the crooked straight, and the rough places plain. That was Charles Reed reading Comfort Ye and Every Valley from the Messiah. And the first word I want to talk about is just the very first word of the piece. Comfort. Well, I always approach the singing of oratorio with the same intention that I would approach singing an opera. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, I would say you even get to do more in oratorio. You have the opportunity because you don't have sets and costumes, and therefore you you really have to communicate the full image with the voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the word is comfort. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sung on long notes. It is. It's such a long note there. And, and so you have the opportunity, more so than in other places, to really linger on the comforty. On the consonants, too, yeah. Especially the, the voice consonants. And, um, and you have to make it sound comforting. Exactly. <laughs> and, we would hope. <laughs> and so, so in, in this case, I would go for a very legato feeling, comforty. So really the T goes straight into the, the Y sound then? Yes. The J glide. I mean. If I do put a break there, then you end up, you end up accenting ye, which is not really the point. Right, because comfort is the most important word in that phrase. But you, you definitely have to give a solid um, glide sound, or it doesn't sound like ye. Yeah. It sounds like come for tea. Please come over and have some tea. Oh, come for... And, and not, <laughs> no, but that happens! No, I've never even in my life thought that, but you're totally right. <laughs> yes. Sometimes you'll hear tenors sing it, and it sounds like they're inviting you to come have tea. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I love that. So it's important to have that, that, that glide, line. but you don't want to accent the word ye. Right, to make it too strong for the phrase. Because the word is, I mean, the, the point is comfort. Yeah, 
in, in this case, um, because you're you're singing through the passaggio of the voice and um, moving basically between, I think it's an E, e flat and a, and maybe an A flat or something. Um, you, I, I would even try to homogenize those two vowels a little more, mm -hmm. so that it stays in the same placement. Right. So instead of saying comfort, I would sing comfort, and and the word will be clear as clear can be. Yeah. You, you don't have to over overdo the the two vowels. Yeah. Okay. Then we come up to. One, uh, one of my favorite words, S-A-I-T-H. Oh, the reason I want to ask this is because I had a coach when I was in college say to me, how would you say that? And I know what I said immediately. How, would you, how do you say that? Seth. That's exactly what I said. I would say open E all the way, Seth. In the notation in Handel's writing, he gives it one, one note, exactly. not two. And in you know in King's or I guess they would say Queen's English, but in the King, in the King James uh, Bible, you also see the word saith, mm -hmm. spelled out S A Y E T H. Exactly. And I would think also if it were to be two syllables, there would be maybe a, an apostrophe apostrophe in there. Yeah, to show us that that there was a letter left out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it adds a sense of authority. You've said something about being comforted in a very comfortable way and now you have the chance to switch gears and add authority and say Seth your God something very simple which is very straightforward and to the point yeah one well, syllable word straightforward is to the point <laughs> <laughs> well and let's compare that then because later right on later on in the in the recit we get crieth and there we do need both syllables right yes and it's written as such and um, and you need that R to be, I, I think for uh, singing, uh, as much as anything. But you you have to attack that on a maybe an F. But yeah, krayeth. That also helps to explode the word, mm -hmm. just like you would a shout, or a yell. Yeah. Which is the point of crying in the wilderness. Right. Exactly. So it's a depictive sound. Onomatopoeic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know if we say the word comfortably in English, we actually skip the second syllable of it. But he said this. Yeah. Speak ye comfortably to. But the, but the emphasis again would be comfortably. Yeah, and the rest of the word actually goes away. It's just the first right. syllable is stressed. So you only stress that first syllable. Yeah. With the comfortably to Jerusalem. So mm -hmm. you, you, know, you have that uh, direction in the phrasing. Yeah. Okay, and now because you just said of an unvoiced S in Jerusalem, I want to compare that. In other languages we can say intervocalic S's are this or intervocalic S's are that, but we can't say that in English. So we have Jerusalem, which we would say with an unvoiced S, but then make straight in the... Desert. And for some reason, desert is a voiced S, a voiced Z sound. So make straight in the desert. And again, and also a highway. A highway. Not a highway. Yeah, they're not equal syllables. Right. A highway. It's a highway. Yeah, a way that is high. I think the aria itself is even more straightforward than the recit, oddly enough. But I wanted to ask you about exalted, this X. Okay. Voiced, right? It is voiced. I, and exalted. Exalted. Like eggs. Like eggs. Exactly. So like E-G-Z. Yes. Yeah, and I, I one th I've got to say I've got to look this up whether or not 
there's rules as to whether or not it's ex, exalted. Or exalted. Ex, excellent. I don't know what the rules are, whether it means the X and the C. And I, I would also talk about the word valley. Mm-hmm. Because it has a double L. It does and, have a double L. And you can use that L as part of your playing with the words. Yeah. But um, you would not, like in an Italian double, you might um, start it, you, you might make it longer or linger on it. And, and I would say that in this usage, you wouldn't. You would sing valley. You, you would use it as a springboard. Yeah. Every valley. So you get a little extra puff of air with it. Right. And you, you make sure that it would come on that, that end of the word, not, not in the middle. Yeah. Interesting. You actually had said something interesting to me about, again, the onomatopoeia of the words mm -hmm. um, and going along with the music. When we have the crooked straight and the rough places plain, do you do something different there to make the words more immediate? To oh, I do, yes. I, well, I mean, of, of course there are ornamentations that, that come into play throughout the aria, so I, I, I try not to sing much the same as it's originally stated. Uh -huh. So as, as the aria is repeating itself, I'm, I'm playing with the music as well. Yeah. But with, with the word crooked, mm -hmm. which is generally not set with much crooked about it. Right. So I, I look for ways to um, create some instability in, in the timbre of the voice. Um, I certainly roll the R and even give it an intensity of, say, maybe a faster vibrato. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are small perceptions, but a different energy. Yeah. Um, whereas with rough places plain, then I, I would look for the, um, the most still sound. Instead of using plosives of rough places plain, I would places plain. So almost the softer... I, I, would, I would linger a little longer and a little softer with it. Yeah, and also even almost without vibrato? Yes, of course. I mean, not, not, um, not holding the voice, but, but I would definitely begin without vibrato and then let it take its natural form. Yeah, so that it really feels plain. Right. Yeah. And then later I'll be... <laughs> Adding as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, this is a Baroque piece, so we, we can get away with adding a little more. Do you do anything differently with the recitative? Well, we were talking about that, that in the, you know, in the, in the recit, that it's very clear the, the length of the notes that you have to sing for comfort ye, but when you get to the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, now you go into a, a type of free form, and if you really sing exactly what's written... The voice, wait, of him, him wait, that crieth in the, the wilderness, wait. <laughs> it's actually less intelligible. Yeah. It's harder to understand. And, um, and so I tend to, when, when I reach that point, I like to throw out those rests and sing it like I would speak it. And, and when you have a really good conductor, then they're able to listen to the flow, and of course that's what you do in rehearsals, but they're, they're able to listen and bring the chords in the right place. So instead of the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, <laughs> yeah. the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, yeah. prepare ye the wave of the Lord. Yeah, It's yeah. much more natural than... And, and that's how I try to sing it. Come for tea. I really enjoyed that part of the conversation for many reasons. Charles and I talked about the word comfort in relation to where it lies in the passaggio and how to make it 
comfortable. And he also said not to over-o that second syllable. But pretty much everyone sings this word comfort with a real o sound in the last syllable. And the question is, why? When Charles read the text, he said, Comfort ye. But as we began to discuss this word in the context of how to make the diction clear, you'll notice that we both sometimes started to over-o that second syllable, even in speaking. It's a terrible habit that we all have, and one that I need to start breaking now. Phonetically, this word is actually K, upside down V for that strong schwa, M, F, schwa, T. But for some reason, it's become comfort in this one case in the repertoire. I went to YouTube and Spotify and listened to 10 recordings of this recitative, and they all sang comfort. Even one who sang the first as comfort then went on to sing the rest as comfort, apparently thinking that he was wrong in the first place. Why? Forgive me if I steal a moment of Abbott and Costello and say, I don't know, third base. People sing it that way because everyone sings it that way. So this is something to bear in mind the next time you sing or coach this recitative. However you pronounce it, as always, we do not pronounce the R in the word comfort. But we have three places where we not only can, but are actually encouraged to roll an R after a consonant. And cry unto her, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, and the crooked straight. After these lingua velar stop plosives, a fancy word for saying the consonants formed at the back of the tongue against the soft palate, so we should also include the combination of GR in this mix, we can roll an R. And in each of these cases, that rolled R gives a little extra color to the word, especially in a situation like crooked, because a rolled R will make the word sound more windy and crooked. I did do the homework that I promised in the interview, and according to Joan Wall's Diction for Singers, the letter X in English is unvoiced when, one, X precedes a consonant sound, including a pronounced H, as in extra, excite, exhale, or expel. Two, when X is final, as in apex or fox. And three, when X is followed by a vowel, but is at the end of the stressed syllable in a word like exit or exercise. In the case of X followed by a vowel or a silent H, where it doesn't end the stressed syllable, then it's a voiced GZ. Exalt, exhausted, example. <laughs> I did find a few exceptions in Longman's pronouncing dictionary, but they were in words that I'd never even heard before, so I think we can safely assume that they won't come up in opera very often. That point about the S in the middle of the word desert as a voiced Z sound was important to me because, having lived in Germany now for 10 years, I've heard Americans sing the word Jerusalem with a voiced S as Jerusalem, even though I'm more used to Jerusalem with an unvoiced S, as Charles says here. Having just looked it up, both are acceptable pronunciations. As a foreigner, there's really no way of knowing whether an intervocalic S is voiced or unvoiced. There's not a rule in English like in most other languages saying that at least most of them are one way or the other. Oddly enough, desert is spelled D-E-S-E-R-T, where the S is voiced, but the word desert is spelled D-E-S-S-E-R-T, with a double S that's also voiced. This has to be a case like the letter Z in Italian, 
which can be voiced like the name Zerlina or in mezzo or azzurro, or unvoiced like pizza and zitto. If you aren't a native speaker and you've never seen the word before, look it up. Jan and Catherine McDaniel are both on the music faculty of the Basque School of Music at Oklahoma City University, and both are diction policemen in their own right. Jan worked for several years in Germany at the Opera House in Detmold, and Catherine also has several European credits as well as an active performing career in addition to both of their teaching jobs. They also teach diction classes at OKCU. We've been enjoying corresponding over the years about the podcast, so when I wrote them asking if they'd like to talk about any pet peeves they have with the Messiah, we ended up having a lovely evening on Skype discussing diction. My, I guess my first question is, do you like more of the British English diction? My general philosophy is that the diction should match the uh, ear of the person who wrote the music. Now, we don't know exactly how British English sounded when Handel wrote this, and of course he didn't necessarily have correct British English in his ear when he was writing because he didn't know how the words were pronounced. Exactly. <laughs> That's the idea. I, I tell when I coach Messiah that if people close their eyes, they could pretend that they were in the Albert Hall listening to it. Mm -hmm. That should be our goal. Or Westminster Abbey. British versus like more of an American approach? Yes, well, I guess the, even the, the, the mid-Atlantic dialect. Mid-Atlantic, uh-huh, yeah. Well, just in general, I mean, for the singing of Messiah, good English diction is good English diction, so it's not, I mean, especially like R rules, you're not ever going to adapt your R rules. You're not going to have American R's before, you know, never sing an R before a consonant, and mm -hmm. that will just stand. So you do have things that, you know, you were talking about pet peeves. Yes. <laughs> Comfort. Comfort ye. Yes, that's one of my uh -huh. big questions, because you hear that all the time, and, and that's what's in my ear, I have to say. Well, it doesn't make any sense, because it puts the stress on the wrong part of yeah. the word. Right. So. And it, it, to me, I, that is the standard way that is sung. It has been annoying to me as long as I've been thinking about it, and I think it's, it's singers are like lemmings going over the cliff. They do it because others have done it. Yeah. And... I'm not sure who the first person was to see, perhaps maybe when it's syllabified and they see F-O-R-T, they say, oh, I know that word, that word is fort. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they, they sing it that way. And I, I really searched, I found only one recording where it's comfort and it's a non-native speaker singing it. Oh, it's fascinating. I can't remember who the tenor is, but, but that's the only one, I, only commercial recording I've ever heard. And, and of course, I, I coach it and, and Catherine coaches it comfort yeah. and we tell people do it that way if there's a big argument at the first musical rehearsal if the person who's paying the bills says it should be comfort then you sing comfort exactly but we're trying to change the culture yeah so then you have savior yeah uh -huh. and angel oh yeah um, with all of those those are all we're getting right to the pet peeves aren't we exactly yeah. well those because that's actually one of the things i talked about today the rejoice greatly and you get course, angel angel all over it but I guess the question is, do we really want an O? I mean, do we really want it to go straight to a schwa angel? Or do we want it to have a little more depth? Do we want something between a schwa and an ah, maybe? Especially where this is, it's not, it's not high. So I think it should be a schwa. I mean, when, you, when you're singing a schwa and it's, it's followed by a, uh, a consonant, it is more about that consonant mm -hmm. than it is more about the L. Yeah. So you're not going to say angel, you're going to say angel. 
Yeah. So it's fine. It's fine to to sing the note through the L because that's how you're that's how you pronounce the word. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so I don't think it needs to be taller. I think what happens with singers is they think it's a vowel, I have to give more energy to it because it's a vowel. Well, schwa is a neutral vowel. Yeah. It's its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I coach, of course, uh, we, we both deal with people who sing musical theater as well. And I, I always say it's angel unless it's country music. <laughs> angel. <laughs> because exactly. for some reason, that's the accepted, that's the, the RP for country music is Angel. But, <laughs> I have to say that I didn't know. I mean, I don't listen to a whole lot of country music yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, been the standard for, for two decades at least, Angel. <laughs> but in any case, but, then the front L, right? Yes, uh-huh. So we don't want to yes. say my American Ellen. No, it's it's no. You know, it's again. There's to me, it's the British approach to the the, the language is the better approach, and the, the British L is more of a dental L, and that's yeah. what we. I, that's it's not quite dental. It's no, like right but, at the ridge, the yeah. gum ridge. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it makes it different from if you're doing, you know, L. Yeah. L. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't do the American L. It's on the back of the the tongue. You, know, yeah. you can't sing a good vowel exactly. and sing that. Vowel. That's it, because then it's really going to make the schwa pop completely out of the line. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And save your. <laughs> save or what? Yeah, because it's spelled with the or it's in in most of the Messiah editions. It's spelled with O U, which makes it even more likely to be missung. That's it, because we um, see that O U, and we're like, oh, it's French. It has to be something different. Yeah. Often, you, I think singers stare at the score and look at the spelling, and then then make decisions based on that time while they're waiting to sing. Oh, I guess probably I've always sung that incorrectly or said that incorrectly. It should really be savior yeah. instead of save. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, we coach it with a pure schwa. schwa. No, no R, no implied R. And in that sense, it's definitely not standard American pronunciation, we have the bird schwa for the, those endings. Right, yeah, Savia. I mean, when you're pronouncing those words, we would say er, savior. Exactly. And er, that's not a vowel that we can sing with. You know, that's when yeah. you have to restructure it. Although that, that that is a vowel you can sing with in country music, so. Yeah, and, and well, in it's musical true. theater as well. That's yeah. a, exactly. Fact, it's, it is expected, and yeah. you have to, in musical theater, you have to learn how to sing that vowel comfortably throughout exactly. all your registers because that's just what you do. Yeah. I always tell my singers that we are able with this kind of music and art music to hide behind the stylization and we don't have to deal with those ugly sounds. We can simply replace them with something that's healthier. Exactly. And, and the, actually easier to get air out through. Uh -huh. Right. And the unburred backward epsilon, well, like in the word, in the word word. Drop the burr out and just just sing that sort of mixed vowel French sound. Learn. The symbol for that is backwards epsilon, and really the way you build it is you epsilon first, which is tip of the tongue. Eh. Then you have lips. Uh, yeah. And that and that's that vowel. That's that's the sensation of it anyway yeah. to the singer. Yeah. And the, you know the backwards epsilon and the O E and I P A are really the, the same, same vowel. They they they. They've approached one another from different ways, but when you, when the sound is produced, it's the same sound. And that's it. And when I when I coach foreign singers a lot, and they, they try and get this er, they keep trying to sing er 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 er, and I keep saying, just think of an o umlaut, just think of an open o umlaut. It's going to be right. It's yeah. much better to yeah. sing. We don't sing er ever. 
Right, but they hear, they, they watch American television and they think that that's the way they should sing in, in English, yeah. which is, of course, the same reason people say come for it. It's because that's what they hear people do. Exactly. Well, and like I said, I grew up with that. You know, I spent my whole childhood in church listening to people sing come for And that's, yeah. so it, honestly, to this day, I have a hard time changing over, even though I know the rules and I know what it should be. Because uh -huh. if, if you can look it up in any dictionary, there's, there's not going to be any single dictionary ever that will have come for it as an option. It won't. Right. Very true. Okay, so if we're going to go, if we're going to go more towards the British or mid-Atlantic, we have the, the question words then become the hand versus the, the ask words. So yes. when we have words like, which shall be to all people, which shall be to all people. You know, I personally coached the, the British, that, that vowel that, that, that Madeline Marshall said we don't sing. <laughs> but but I, I, I coached that, that way as the place to start at the first musical rehearsal. And then, of course, I always tell people, because most people are not working for me, they're working for someone else. Exactly. <laughs> that I said, you know, that, is the, that, that musical director has the ultimate decision. And if, the, that, if it's a bothersome issue, then change. Exactly. I, don't, I guess don't do anything that you would that would be unethical, but I don't think that the difference between all and all <laughs> is uh, worth fighting over. Life, but life ending it, or earth shattering. Right, yeah, it's right. It creates the feeling that I'm talking about that close your eyes and pretend that you're in London feeling. If those are the vowels that we hear. Yeah. One thing I was surprised at, I was coaching a, bar a bass a couple weeks ago on the trumpet shall sound, yes. and he kept rolling the R, and I was just really surprised that, that anybody would still roll an R after a T or a D. It just feels so awkward. And yet, once again, I don't know that there is a commercial recording in which that R is not rolled. Really? I, yeah, and, and I, I do the same thing. I coach it consistently, and, and Catherine, well, you do too, uh, right? Just yes, following following the, the, the principle. TR and DR words, and um, the, the reason is efficiency of sound. It's much more difficult to have a good vowel if you're trying to roll an R right after a T or a D, because both of those require the tip of your tongue, yeah. T and D and rolled R. So you, you're basically, you could be in a knot. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's the main reason why you don't want to do that. I mean, besides the fact that it sounds funny to say, for instance, drink, yeah. you know, that just sounds funny, yeah. but also difficult to have airflow toward your singing vowel yeah. when you're doing that. Yeah, so there's, a, there's that practical functional reason, and then to me, it just, the, the, main, the main issue I have with TR and DR is you sound foreign. Right, yeah. But that's when, it, it sounds like Spanish to our ears. Yeah. Uh -huh. Or I always say it sounds like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> I am Dracula. I want to drink I, your I, blood. I drink wine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but trumpet is a, is a battle. I have when I coach someone who's sung a lot of messiahs, they're resistant to that. Yeah. More so, I would say, than the tenors are resistant to uh, comfort. The, the basses are resistant to changing that rolled R. They said, well, that just, it makes the word sound more trumpet-like. They'll oh, say dear. things like that, and I said... Well, there's a trumpet for that yeah, and within trumpet. that aria. <laughs> exactly. Then in Comfort You, though, you do have the word cry, which yeah. is fine because yeah. that R yeah. lends itself to a good vowel. Yes. So, uh, and I jotted, I jotted down in, in every valley, crooked straight. Crooked, is a, that's, that's one you would... You would 
flip or roll. It would actually be probably at least two or three uh, flips. Right. Yeah. But straight, which should be uh, retroflex, and you know, you tend to hear crooked straight. <laughs> and that, that, then back to Dracula. Yeah, exactly. then you are back to Dracula, and it makes <laughs> and it makes a huge difference to me. Well, well, and that's the thing: the crooked then sounds crookeder. Yeah, that's yeah, the word. Right. Then, then straight. We have the, well, and and also for the soprano, when she has a savior, which is Christ the Lord, which to me is again a place that I would do it because it makes his name more important. Right. Somehow. Correct. Absolutely. Because my Absolutely. understanding of it but, is that it's after the K and the G sound that Madeline Marshall actually says we should always roll it. I don't know well, if she said always, but she said in dramatic, in yeah. dramatic instances. Yeah, and you know, all the words we're talking about, but I would think, think constitute dramatic words. Yeah. Christ, crieth, crooked. Yeah. They're yeah. all that. Exactly. Um, let's see. I, uh, w this may be the time to talk about S-A-I-T-H. I don't know if that came up. That's in comfort you. Yes, yes. Wait, because it's also in thus saith the Lord. My favorite word. S-A-I-T-H, which I believe is just like the boy's name, S-E-T-H. Correct, yeah. Yes. There is no argument. Right. The word is Seth. Seth. And yet... And yet, you know, again, now this is, there are, there are recordings, uh, commercial recordings in which that word is pronounced correctly, yes. but there are also many in which it is not. Yep. There are words, there are words where it does say, sayeth, and you have the Y, and then I'm totally fine with saying sayeth. But if we have A-I, it's one sound, right? Yeah, uh, right. And I always, I always say, well, uh, how do you say S-A-I-D if a singer is arguing about this? S-A-I-D. Do you say said or do you say said? <laughs> and, and well, if you're course, from Texas, Yeah, some maybe. of the Texans actually say, say, say it is say it. <laughs> but, uh, but then they say, oh, I see your point. And I said, so now why are you saying sayeth? Yeah. And, they, of course, they can't argue with that. And then I show them the uh, the pronouncing dictionary of American English in which S-A-I-T-H is given only one pronunciation, which is the F with the epsilon in it. Exactly. No diphthong. And then generally they'll accept that one. But, yeah. uh, but you know, you have Seth, and then, as I recall, in that same scripture passage uh, that's in Comfort Ye, if we're talking about the, that, that occurrence of the word, the word straight, of course, the same spelling of the of the the vowel, but that is a diphthong. But that's its own thing. It's not, it's no English is not phonetic. Exactly, and and I actually I know I did one episode where we talked about one single letter in every way it possibly can be uh -huh. pronounced. Yeah. Okay, so Seth comes up for everybody. Everybody has a lot of these words. I mean, everybody gets angels. Everybody has Seth. We have thus Seth the Lord too for the for the bass for the baritone. So there's, right. this, this happens right. for everybody. So it's not the kind of thing where, oh, only the tenor has to deal with it. <laughs> it's particularly problematic, I think, in comfort you, though, because it's, as I recall, it's a long quarter. Seth, your God, yeah. Seth, your, so saith your. It's much easier when it's a longer note to miss sing it. Yeah. It's, well, and it's part of that line, and it keeps going up, and with the Seth, the Lord, it takes less... Uh, it takes less pressure, it takes less, like, less emphasis because the thus right. is so big. Right. I know I harped on the word Seth quite a bit on this episode, but it needs to be said often because it comes up over and over. And people tend to have extremely strong opinions on this, whether informed or uninformed. So for future reference, Seth 
is phoneticized as S epsilon theta without any questions. Charles and I had talked a little bit about crooked straight, but Jan and Catherine also brought up a great point. While the R in crooked can and should be rolled, the R in straight should not because it follows a T, just as in the trumpet and not the trumpet shall sound. And I will definitely be remembering Jan's Dracula analogy there. I looked up the rule and it reads, use a flipped R when a phonetic KR, usually spelled CR, or GR combination occurs in words that are dramatic or difficult to project. There are a few other things that I want to talk about in relation to the word crooked. The first is to notice that the final consonant is voiced. I bring this up to compare it to the word accomplished. In some performing editions, you'll see this syllabified as accomplished. And in others, the last E will be eliminated completely and replaced by an apostrophe. I prefer accomplished personally, but for diction purposes, the reason I point this out is this. If the final S-H-E-D is a separate syllable as accomplished, then the final D would be voiced. However, when it's pronounced as in modern usage, because it immediately follows the unvoiced sound sh, the D would become an unvoiced T. Accomplished. This might seem like too fine a point here, but it does come up for everyone in the Messiah. The bases have the aria, the people that walked in darkness. If that second syllable weren't there, that word would be walked. But because it is a separate syllable, the D needs to be voiced. Altos have a similar word in he was despised. But in that case, because the S is voiced in despise, the D would be voiced in any case, despised or despised. But the word crooked brings up another point that we didn't talk about. According to Madeline Marshall, who goes through quite a bit of the text of Comfort Ye in regards to schwa's in her book, this final syllable should be a schwa, even though my Longman Pronouncing Dictionary lists an open capital I for it in standard usage. But for some reason in this aria, oftentimes the E is sung as an open epsilon E. And that's not the only case. In both crieth and exalted, and even walked and despised that I just mentioned, we have the same situation, where the final syllable should be a schwa, not open epsilon E. Although often, a tenor will get to the end of that long melisma of exalt and then do a very strong ted. I know that you're proud that you got there, but the word is still exalted, and the stress is still on the second syllable and not on ted. By opening these unstressed vowels, they receive a new stress, and thus the language gets distorted. One last point. In his reading of the text, Charles said very clearly, a highway for our God. This, of course, is a very American pronunciation of the word God, which in received pronunciation would be God, with that dark backwards ah sound that, as Jan told us, Madeline Marshall tells us never to use. I also prefer the British pronunciation in the Messiah, but like Jan and Catherine both said, if you're singing this and the conductor has specifically asked you to sing one of those traditional vowels or to use mid-Atlantic dialect instead of British received pronunciation, feel free to sing whatever the person who is paying you wants. It's not worth being difficult about, 
but it's absolutely worth being aware of. And that's all we have time for today. The McDaniels return for next week's episode, which focuses more on the soprano and alto portions of The Messiah, joined by soprano Amanda Majeski. In the meantime, for more information about Charles Reed and Jan and Catherine McDaniel, or for any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please go to the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and give it a high rating so that others can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you next week.